Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Talking about entitlement today. I don't know if you saw the movie, As Good As It Gets, with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. And there comes a point right in the movie where he kind of looks up to the heavens and he's like, is this as good as it gets? And he's kind of a curmudgeon. He's one of these guys that doesn't seem very pleasant to be around. I don't know if you've ever asked that question, is this as good as it gets? You know, maybe, you know, maybe that's a common question for you or maybe that's just a once in a while thing, but you've looked at your circumstances and you've looked at your possibilities and potentials and you're saying, are you serious? Like, it doesn't get any better than this? I, I expected very different than this. I thought it would go better. Entitlement is the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. I looked up some examples of entitlement. One is, you'd be surprised how many, you probably wouldn't be surprised, how many people are sued out of what to me seems like a warped sense of entitlement. Okay, so the San Francisco 49ers once got sued because they gave Father's Day gifts only to the men. Yeah. A psychology professor was sued for hanging mistletoe at a Christmas party. It was called sexual harassment. Here's one that's really wild. A psychic was awarded $986,000 because she sued her doctor because he had her take a CAT scan. And in that CAT scan, she said she lost her psychic ability. I'm like, you didn't see that coming? I'll let that one just creep in there. (laughs) Hey, not only do we have like the outrageous versions of entitlement, but sometimes even we notice the culture in personal relationships is becoming increasingly entitled. The Washington Post wrote about a study recently. They're asking the question, why are kids so narcissistic now? Like, what is this? And you'd think, you know, they speculate, oh, it's going to be social media, it's going to be Twitter and and that kind of thing. Everybody's self-focused. And this particular study, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but this is what they found. They said it wasn't Facebook or Instagram or selfie sticks. They said it's, quote, parents who overvalue children during the development stages of ages 7 to 11, telling them that they are superior to others and entitled to special treatment. These are more likely to produce narcissistic children who grow up to be narcissistic adults. So that's the thing. Let's imagine, let's just imagine some scenarios maybe in your life where entitlement is happening. Okay, so maybe there is, there's a husband and wife, and let's say that the husband he's bringing home a lot of money, but she takes a lot of that money and largely spends it on, you know, clothing and things that are really for her. And then when he confronts her about it, she's like, you just want me to be miserable my whole life. Well, certainly there could be other dynamics in that relationship, but if that's all that were true, that would sound like entitlement to me. What about this? A young man shows up at his mom's house, drunk, expecting a bed, and a meal in the morning. And she's had enough, and she says, listen, you have your girlfriend pick you up. You're not sleeping here tonight. And he, in a tirade, runs out to the car, drives drunk away from the house, and doesn't speak to her for six months. What about two 
best friends in high school who are used to texting all day long. And then one day, one of them doesn't answer for an hour. And she's given the silent treatment for a week and a half. And the next text is, we're drifting apart and you don't care about me. These are examples of entitlement that go on in our lives. Let me give you just some evaluative questions. Everybody knows what it's like to feel underrated or unappreciated, but I want us to all just ask the question, is there any chance that I myself am a little bit entitled? Here's some ways that you might be able to tell. Do you impose unrealistic demands on people in your family or friends or employers or employees or just anybody? Do you have the tendency to feel sorry for yourself when things didn't go the way that you wanted them or expected them or dreamed they would go? Are you really tempted to punish people when they didn't do it the way you thought it should be done? What about this one? Do you sincerely think, if you're like in your heart of hearts, nobody else knows this but you and, and Jesus? you really kind of think that you're better or more, than, more important than most of the people around you. If any of those might be true, congratulations, you might have a sense of entitlement. And here's a problem with entitled people. We're really unhappy because it's never enough. We're never where we wanted to be. It's never what we dreamed it could have been. And so it's all, we're always in the middle. We're, we're not there anymore, but I'm not, definitely not here. And so until I can be here, I'm unhappy. And people will cue in on this, man. Like, they start to notice when, when, when you become the thing that every relationship in your life, every relationship is just orbiting around you, when people can tell that you kind of think that you're the most important, they tend to back off. You tend to lose friends. Now, I don't want to say that sometimes we have seasons of loneliness only because we're entitled. I think there's other reasons that we might have seasons of loneliness. But if every season is a season of loneliness, can I just encourage you to have some self-reflection. Is it possible that maybe that's because the way you interact with people, you may not know it, but you come off as very entitled or like you're really the point of everything? Well, Jesus saw things a little bit differently than our culture. And we don't hear Jesus talk a lot about some of the things that grieve the heart of God in the way that he's going to talk about it today. But here's what I want to challenge every one of us. If you will trade your sense of entitlement in for just the glory and the approval of God, my friend, you'll be happier than you could ever imagine. In fact, you and I, I, my hope is by the time we're done with this sermon, you're going to be thinking, I am the luckiest person in the world because there's so much that God has done for us in Christ. Luke 17, 7. Now, Jesus is just in a, he's in a series of, he's just teaching. This is just the teachings of Jesus. He's just talking about things that are true. Verse 7 says, we're gonna, he's going to tell a little parable, and then right after that parable, it's going to be kind of lived out right in front of us. Verse 7 says, Now, which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him after he comes in from the field, come immediately and recline at the table and eat? On the contrary, will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? And properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? The slave, all right, I got to move. The slave idea is important for us as we think about things happening in the Bible. Okay, so there's, there's a broad spectrum of what can be meant by slavery. Throughout world history, slavery has been a thing. 
Thankfully, um, it is now, it's still in the world, but there's been a severe pushback against it, considering where there wasn't pushback for the previous 18 centuries. Um, And by the way, that is because of Christian Westerners that slavery was pushed back so much. But nevertheless, we'll get into that maybe next week or the next weekend. Um, What we need to know is it's not, when you picture slavery, American slavery, that's not the kind of slavery Jesus is talking about. There was was slavery for Jews, but it was was more like indentured servanthood. Okay, so servitude, you could get out of it. You had to be treated relatively fairly. But the deal still was, you got to do what you're told to do. You're the property. You're the property, temporarily at least, of this person, and you got to do what they're told to do. So Jesus is saying, hey, um, it's not when, when you come in from doing your work and you have more work to do, it's not that you would think your master is going to start serving you. They're going to expect you to keep right along serving and doing what you were told. And he says, verse 10, so you too, when you do all the things which were commanded you, say, we're unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. While he was on, okay, so that's the story. Now they're, they're traveling. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing through Samaria and Galilee. Okay, so Samaria's over here, and this is a, they would consider, these are like half-breed pagans, okay? They're, they're kind of Jewish, and they're kind of not, but there's, there's significant racial tension between Jews and Samaritans, okay? So they're traveling between Jewish territory and Samaritan territory, and what do they happen upon? Some lepers. Here's what happens. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy, who stood at a distance from him, or they stood at a distance from him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now this leprosy, it could be some of them had Hansen's disease, which is our contemporary understanding of leprosy. That means like your skin is literally, you know, rotting and things are falling off and that kind of thing. But leprosy could mean lots of things in the Bible. What it really just meant was it's a catch-all for a skin disease, and what you had to do if you had leprosy, any kind at all, hey, you got to stay out of town. You're quarantined away from society. So these guys are shouting, okay? They're, they're traveling through two different areas, and these guys are shouting, hey, hey, they, they hear it's Jesus. Hey, look over here. Hey, have mercy on us. Now, I think it's really important not to, not to, not to put too point, a fine a point on it, but they didn't say, hey, um, Jesus, come on, man. Have a little equity around here. Hey, what about, what about our cause, Jesus? Why don't you get with it? You kind of owe us healing. Isn't isn't it time for us? No, they didn't say that. They said something very different. They said, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. As they were going, they were cleansed. That's really important. Go show yourselves to the priest is something you do when you're healed of something like leprosy. Okay, so it's not that they were healed, and then they were, he's like, once you're healed, then go show the priest. No, you go to the priest when you're healed, but Jesus is saying, go now. You're not even healed, but go now. Go have them check you out. Okay, so the priest is kind of like, it's a multiplicity of roles, okay? It's not only like the religious leader, but it's a political leader, and apparently it's the physician that checks you out if you're really healed. But Jesus says, go now, and you'll be healed as you go. When When he saw them, yeah, okay, cleanse, verse 15. Now one of them, when he, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Okay, so check this out. He's a leprous Samaritan. That's like a double strike right there, okay? That's two reasons for Jews to think this is the villain or this is the last guy that God is going to help. And he's the one that comes back and thanks God. 
Listen to what Jesus says, verse 17. This, we're going to see the heart of God. We, we, we don't always think, how is God feeling about a situation? We think he's kind, and he is. We think he's gracious, and he is. And yet here we get a window from Jesus into the heart of God, verse 17. But Jesus responded and said, were that 10 cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, in other words, not that he doesn't like foreigners, but the foreigner gets it more about God's heart than God's own people. He says, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's talk about three identities of the luckiest person on earth. People are all into identity, man. Identity is a big, a big thing nowadays. It's a big thing for this generation. And, and I guess it makes sense. You know, we all want something to like show us where do I belong? How do I fit? You know, what's special about me and what's the group that I roll with? But I got to tell you, people can look all over the world if they want. But the most important identities are the things God says is true about his creation. Okay, so like we can try to be something else. Okay, I'm not going to try to make fun. I just want you to understand kind of where we are. Um, I was in researching this message. I ran across a story of a trans individual who is now trans species and has spent $75,000 to become a dragon. Okay, you can look this up. I don't want to creep anybody out, so feel free to, to look that up. And, and God, you know, Jesus died for that person and loves them. I'm just telling you, there's this idea that I can just choose my identity as a dragon. I feel like a dragon. I think like a dragon. I don't think they breathe fire, and I don't think they eat like a dragon. I don't think they'd win in a fight against another dragon. Um, but this is where people are going with identity. And can I just tell you, you don't even need to worry about that kind of stuff. Just go ask your maker, what is your identity? Like, we don't choose it. It's been chosen for us, just like we can't make ourselves, we can't remake ourselves in something else's image. But anywho, here's three identities of the luckiest person on earth. Number one, unworthy but adored. Unworthy but adored. Check this out. Prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself. Properly clothe yourself. He's saying, hey, one of your jobs as a servant, as a slave, as a doulos, is you need to like even bring your own nice clothes to the, to, to the event. Okay, you're going to serve me. I don't want you smelling like manure. Okay, go, you know, bathe before you come in here. I shouldn't have to like clean you up. If you're going to serve me, you should be clean by the time you get here. And clothes often in the New Testament are a type of our righteousness, our, our rightness, our deeds, the good things or the bad things we do. And what Jesus is saying, hey, first you need to know your identity. If you want to understand that you're the luckiest person in the world, you need to know that you are unworthy. You don't bring any clean clothes to the table. All you brought was dirty clothes. All you brought was your own righteousness. All you brought was stuff that really, it's, it's just not enough. Now, it would be expected that you would bring your own good, clean, nice stuff, but you didn't. But thank God Jesus is kind. Jesus is the God that justifies the wicked. But that means the wicked have to own and understand and get it that they are actually wicked. We can never be worthy of what God <clears throat> of God's presence. And he's saying, "Don't come into my presence with dirty clothes." But he also offers, "I'll just give you some clean clothes. I'll give you Jesus's clothes. And then you'll smell good and you'll look good." And it'll be better than anything you could ever do. Let me give you an example. You might be an Olympic level swimmer. You might be the best swimmer in the world. But you'll never swim to Hawaii. You'll never get there. 
you cannot get to Hawaii by swimming. Nobody can. You'll die before you ever get there. But you would need to be able to swim to Hawaii if we're talking about righteousness before God. You'd need to be able to do something you could never do. And every one of us will die if we try to be right in God's presence without Jesus Christ. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I got a plane that'll take you straight to Hawaii. You don't have to swim at all. You ain't even got to do nothing. Now, the price of the ticket is somebody has to be able to swim to Hawaii. But Jesus can, and Jesus does, and then he gives you his ticket. He says, go ahead and get on the plane, and now you can spend forever with me in paradise. Let's say it a different way. You might say, but, but I've been working on my clothes really a lot, Carter, and I feel like I'm, they're, they're pretty shiny. Well, think about this. <clears throat> if you're hanging off the edge of a cliff, and you're holding on to a chain, and down below there's spikes and fire and snakes and all the worst things you could imagine, and you're just kind of dangling there, how many of the links in that chain have to break before you fall? Just one. It doesn't matter that you didn't break all Ten Commandments. All you had to do was break one, and suddenly you're fallen And every one of us has fallen short of God's glorious standard. Here's something else you've got to do, though. You've got to admit that you're unworthy, but then you've got to trust the one who is worthy. Here's a chair. see if I can be a little higher so y'all can see this. Now, if I'm approaching Jesus like, I'm trying to hang on to this chair so I don't fall off, you might slap me in the head and say, Dunce. Just sit in the chair. Just trust. Somebody say trust. Trust that the chair is there to hold you up. Trust that Jesus is there to save you. He's a perfect savior. The reason you you can be joyous, the reason you can recognize you're so beloved is because Jesus came for the very purpose of holding you up, of getting you to Hawaii, of making sure that he just gives you his brand new perfect golden chain, not the one you were hanging on to before. Now, here's what's wonderful. Yes, we're unworthy, but we're adored. We're unworthy, but adore. Listen to this. Psalm 17, 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Do you know that God thinks about you as the apple of his eye? The apple of your eye is the first thing you'll protect. If somebody goes, you know, to even psych you out, punch, you'll, you'll go like this. You'll wince. You'll protect your eyes. And Jesus says, you're the apple of my eye. Yes, you're unworthy, but you're still the apple of of my eye. 1 Samuel 25, 29, speaking of David, but a picture of us all, <clears throat> says, even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. Hey, what do you put in a treasure pouch? Treasure. That's what you are. That's what you are to God. So yes, you're unworthy, but you're adored. Unworthy, but adored. And you know, that's like the most wonderful thing in the universe, to be unworthy and adored. The ones who really have a lot of joy are the ones who know, like, I don't deserve to even be in this room. I'm very aware of that. And yet, I'm in this room, able to be here on account of somebody else. He likes me so much, he just brought me in. That's where we're really going to find joy. And what does Jesus do? Well, he not only gives us new clothes, he takes out our heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. He begins to reprogram us, so to speak. And here's, here's the good news. You got to buy it. You got to believe. At the end of the day, what's your identity? Well, you're the leper. You're the Samaritan leper. But if you'll believe Jesus that you're the leper, you also get to believe Jesus that you're the treasure.
If you'll believe Jesus that you're the leper, which the evidence will be very clear to you if you just pay attention that you're the leper, you also get to believe that you are the treasure. And that's what you are. So let's be humble and let's celebrate. Be humble about what we are. I'm unworthy, but I'm going to celebrate that I'm adored. So I'm unworthy, but adored. Here's number two, unprofitable, but honored. An unprofitable, but honored servant. Verse 10. So you too, when you do all, somebody say all. When you do all the things which you were commanded, you, you should say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Jesus is saying, hey, my slaves, my servants shouldn't expect applause for doing what they were supposed to do anyway. Okay, you don't get any extra props or points for that. Now, just think about your life for a second, okay? This has to do with the ways we serve God. As as God's servant, how is that going really so far? We might say, well, I do more than others. And I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty good at this, that, or the other thing. And, and honestly, I'm, like, I'm at church a lot, and I, I do these different things, or I volunteer over at that one organization. And that might be awesome, but just think through how many times you've been irresponsible. Think about how many times you've had murderous intent. Think about how many times you just left something undone. You should have cared. You should have done something, and you didn't. Because it's not just about what you do wrong. It's about what you failed to do that was right to do. When you think about just, just think about the last 24 hours. How did sin go? Did you sin in the last 24 hours? I know I did. Multiply that by all the days you've already had. Okay? So all those days are places, if we're just going to be real frank about it, we weren't good servants. If you would have obeyed in every way, you still don't deserve applause because Jesus says, Dodoy, that's what you were supposed to do. That's literally what you're for. You're my servant. You were just supposed to do what I asked you to do, and you didn't do that. I've got a remote here. This is a remote that kind of works, okay? There's, you know, batteries fall right out of it. Even when you press the buttons, it's like you got to hold it and like twist it a certain way, okay? This is in my house, and it's in my house because I'm gracious, all right? So we keep it in the drawer. Dude, it's easier just to literally walk over to the TV and press the button that you want, but I keep this remote in my house really for this exact illustration, okay? I'm being gracious. What, what are we saying? This thing doesn't even do what it was supposed to do. Like, it's not even living up to what it, it came in the box supposing to be able to do. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. You've got to understand, um, my friends, as servants go, yeah, you do stuff, but largely, you're like that remote control. You're unprofit. You're so broken in so many ways. You leave so many things undone. There's so much good that you failed to do that you, you don't need to be applauding yourself. You need to be actually very humbled and saying, oh my word, I'm like this remote. I'm an unprofitable servant by and large. I don't even do what would have been right. I don't even do what would have been expected. But you know God. Somebody say, but God. But God, because you're so adored. He comes along. He says, well, I'm going to honor you anyway. Only God would do that. Only God would honor you anyway. Okay, I'm going to honor you anyway. Think about all the people that know you, and they would definitely not honor you. They definitely would not adore you. Okay, from, from their perspective, it's like, ah, you know, I don't want to be around them. It's probably not many people knowing you, but it's a lot knowing me. Okay? Well, they wouldn't go ahead and honor you, but God would. Now, think about all the people that do know you and do like you. 
If they knew everything about you that God knows, they would no longer like you, okay? They'd they'd be afraid of you. They'd be like, I I can't even trust what they're going to do or think or feel. But God takes the very people who have acted like his enemies and he says, I'm going to adore you and I'm going to honor you because I'm that awesome of a God. John 12, 26, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. This is the paradox right here. He's saying, hey man, don't expect like special rewards. Don't make any agreements with yourself about what you're entitled to from God. I spent a lot of my early years trying to figure out like, Carter, you're not entitled to anything, man. Like, let it go. You don't even deserve what you have. Just just serve God willingly because you love him. How about we all just decide, I'm not entitled to anything. And yet, when we decide that, God says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and honor you then anyway. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. If it's on your terms, I'm not going to do it. But if it's on my terms, even though you don't deserve it, even though you're an unprofitable servant, I'm still going to go ahead and do it just because I'm that doggone awesome. Somebody say doggone awesome. And what God does, and only God can do it. We can't do this. He not only gives us that new heart, he begins to reprogram us so that we become profitable. Now, it's not instantaneous, but as we continue to walk out life, we're acting more like Jesus. We're doing things more like Jesus. We are being responsible when Jesus would want us to. It's kind of like, I don't know if y'all seen Rogue One, the Star Wars movie. There's this tall robot called KTSO, okay? And he was a bad robot, but they reprogrammed him to be good. That's what God does to us when we come to Christ. We were a bad robot. Now, here's the thing. K2SO is really good. Like, he's not pretending. He's not like you know, just coming in on the radar. He's really, he's become really good. And that's what God does to us. You become actually really good as we trust God. Here's what we get wrong. Usually I tell you what what we get wrong right up front. Now I'm going to tell you right here, close to the end of the message. But friends, we are slow and slothful to give God the glory for everything I just said, for all the ways that he has adored us and all the ways that he has honored us. And we don't give him, not only do we not give him the glory that he's due, but we begin to complain that things aren't going better than they are. And we're almost accusing, well, I'm entitled to this though, and I'm entitled to that though, and I should have this or that and the other thing. And what we don't get, here's the secret inside that main idea. Here it is. This is for you and for me, so don't just hear it for you. You don't even deserve now. You don't even deserve the good things you have. You're an unprofitable, unworthy servant. That's literally your identity. Now, you're also adored, and he's also making you profitable. But let's just all be clear. Jesus is like, do you even see what you are right now? You're the servant that doesn't even do all the things. And you're mad that you don't have more, even though I came to earth and died on a cross for you? Even though I've given you all these privileges absolutely freely, and I've busted you open and reprogrammed you and given you this new heart, and you're still feeling entitled? It's because we just don't get it. We don't understand that that is, it's offensive and hurtful to the heart of God. So here's number three. We're invited to glorify God. We're invited to glorify God. Jesus is sad because there's a lot of praise left undone. He's sad because, think about it, he's saying to these lepers, okay, let's say that he never died for their sin. Let's say he was, he was done and got beamed up to heaven right there. 
He would say to those lepers, guys, do you know, like, I left heaven. I came and I was born. I've spent 30 years growing up, perfectly obeying, by the way, just so I could be here on this very day to heal you. That was a lot of work. That was a lot of stuff. And now Jesus says to us, and I went beyond that. I went up and walked right up Calvary's hill and died in your place just to heal you. He's saying, can we recognize that was a big deal? You know what it's like because you're made in God's image. You, you feel it when someone, you know, you really kind of bent over backwards and you did a big deal thing for them and they didn't thank you and they didn't even acknowledge it. Well, you might've been gracious about it, but there was still something and you're like, that ain't right. Well, God is sometimes, can you believe the idea that he might be saying, man, that ain't right. Because see, every one of these lepers were actually healed. I don't know if you noticed that in the text. They were all healed. As they were making their way, as they were progressing, they were all healed. But only one of them said, man, that's a big deal. I'm going to go back and tell Jesus. Jesus is taking note of the one that praised him. Jesus is doing that today. Now, it doesn't mean you're not forgiven. I've failed in my praise amount, okay? I fall way short. If I'm going to know the heart of God rightly, then I've got to know that God says, it's appropriate to praise me. It's a really big deal. Don't, don't whine about what you don't have yet. Praise me that you have way more than you deserve from the hand of God. And if we will trade in our entitlement and glory in the idea that we are an adored traitor and a subpar servant, my friends, we'll feel like the luckiest people on earth. So let me give you four practical ways to do this. One, Glorify God for what he's done. This just means we actually take stock. We actually, we, we actually look at this thing. So I've got Evernote files. If you don't know what that is, think of like a virtual index card on your computer. And I, I have an entire little notebook just called Thank You, God. And in that, just every month, hey man, November of 2021, I'm writing down things I'm thankful for. You want to hear what some of them are? Okay. Thank you that I get to preach. Thank you for my sabbatical. Thank you that EHR went well last night. Thank you that you're making my son a man of character and virtue. Thank you that you discipline your people. Thank you for saving the lost. Thank you that Brandon's time off went well. Thank you that our kids love and enjoy one another. That's just one. I mean, that's just one little session. But what's helpful about that is not only is that good for that day, but then as you go back in time and you begin to review all these ways that God was faithful, little, little faithfulnesses that you would never remember, yet God is there doing it and it wells up in praise. It just fosters a praise-filled heart as we do this. But here's the next one. Glorify God for convicting you. As these lepers are walking and they're beginning to get healed, they're going to start feeling stuff. Wow, that skin didn't even like work right before. Wow, I can, it's not scaly. I can feel that now. And you know, when you start walking with Jesus, you start to feel things you couldn't feel before. You start to feel conviction. You start, like, suddenly your heart knows, like, ow, that hurts. I wasn't supposed to do that. That was bad. And when we start to feel that, instead of, like, trying to push it off, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I can, thank God that I can feel that. I couldn't feel that before, but now you've made me alive in Christ. And the feeling is coming back. We glorify God by, I mean, here we go, obeying. A really appropriate way to thank God is saying, God, you know, I know I'm unworthy, but in myself, 
but I'm going to go ahead and start to act a little more worthy. I won't become worthy on my own righteousness, but I still want, as a thank you gift, I'm just going to try to obey a little bit better. I'm going to like postpone, dis- or I'm going to forego disobeying in that area just as a way to say, man, it was a big deal, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for new life in Christ. I'm going to serve you. Like as, if I've been really trying to make my life about me, I'm going to look for places that's true. and say, this isn't about me. I'm not going to be one of those servants that's trying to talk other servants into throwing a banquet for myself. Instead, I'm saying, God, this is your life. This is about you. You did all the things. My work is now about you. My marriage is now about you. All my relationships are now about you. All my goals, if they're not blessed by you, I think I need new goals, Jesus. So can we talk about that? Everything is now for Jesus because you and I, do. we're just the doulos. We're just the slave. It's not about us. It's not our thing. And so the appropriate response for all that God has done is say, oh, by the way, here, this is for you, everything. And one final one, glorify God for progress. We glorify God. This is one that I, man, I need revelation on this. Like I'm getting revelation on it, but I need it. Those dudes, those lepers, they were on their way. And as they were on their way, they were being healed. I think there's a really important spiritual lesson for us. Sometimes, my friends, God heals instantaneously, whether it's physical or something emotional or something that went wrong in your life. Most of the time, it's on the way while you're obeying. That's how God heals us. Hey, if you just start obeying, start in the direction I told you about. Quit whining about what you don't have. Do what I told you, and you're going to find yourself healing as you go. That's how God works. I want to give you some areas just that I am learning to process the faithfulness of God for progress. Okay, so here's Zig Ziglar's Wheel of Life. Normally people use this for goal setting. I'm just going to use it for a way to look at progress. So you take career, upper left. All I have to do is think about, where was I first? Man, remember when I was working on that railroad? You know, there's things about my job I don't, you know, I'm like, we could do more here. But if I look back to where I was, when I look back to, when I work retail, when I look back to, to where I've been, I, I can say, God, look what you did. Oh my word. We are way farther than I thought. If I take financial, dude, I remember when we had $30 for food. Like that's what we had every week. Hey man, we got five kids. We spend a lot more than $30 a week now. And, if, and I might want more, but if I just look back, Carter, do you remember $30? Do you remember those $1 chicken Kievs that Kenzie bought for you that probably you know, make you half sick anyway? Do you remember those things? Look at where you are now. God be praised for the progress that's been made already. Hey, what about um, your spiritual life? Yeah, I know you might not be where you want to be, but remember when most of this was in the dark for you? Remember when you might have been so rebellious like you could barely think three thoughts about God in a row? Remember that? Well, God has been faithful. He's been, he's been doing what he said he would do. Hey, what about your family? I know it's not perfect. I know that you could, you could probably get depressed thinking about all the things wrong with your family. But if you think about, can you see the hand of God though? Can you see things that could only be God, that God is doing? And dude, maybe it's taken 20, 30 years, but he's doing it. He's going slow because he's got wise lessons in that for you. But God be praised because progress is a real thing. Let's take the long view. Let's look back at, dude, listen, I remember, okay, I remember it wasn't long after Kenzie and I were married. Dude, we had no friends. 
I'm not saying people wouldn't have identified us as friends, but we, there was nobody around. There was nobody to hang out with. And yo, we liked each other. We were very much in love, but we were lonely. Not to mention we were depressed and nobody wanted to hang out with us. We're like, man, I can't find friends. Um, that's not a problem right now. Like, like we could have people every night for dinner for a long, long time. And I think they would actually want to do it because God has been faithful over the long term. Where has God been faithful to you over the long term? That honestly, yo, yes, it's not perfect. Yes, it's not what your flesh might tell you you're entitled to, but you're not entitled to anything. And what we need to do is praise God for where he's brought us and where he's bringing us right now that's just slower than we wanted. Hey, I want to challenge you. We're about to go into a time of praise. And I want you to think about all that God has done for you in Christ. Think about the fact that, yes, you're unworthy, but you're also adored and you're secure in his treasure pouch. Yes, in many ways, you could say you're an unprofitable, at least inconsistent servant. And God says, nevertheless, I'm going to honor you for the sake of Christ. And where are the places where, truth be told, there's been a whole lot of underpraising going on. And you don't have to have a perfect score from here on out. But we need to start practicing this. Jesus, you've been way kinder to me than I've ever deserved. Let's bow our heads. God, I pray as we worship you right now, you're so good to us. Would you bring to mind maybe some things that we've misinterpreted? Maybe some things where there actually is progress, but we've not noticed it because we're impatient for some result? Would you bring to mind places that, man, you showed up and you showed up big and we were kind of like, yep, there it was, but we didn't praise you. God, we don't want to just offer you the works of praise. We want to be transformed more into understanding your heart. You made us to be praisers. That's our purpose. Would you fill us with the spirit of praise now? In Christ's name. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.